Local voices, local conversations. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Welcome back to NapaBroadcasting.com. It's always interesting when an individual or a community always seems to make the wrong decisions. Sometimes it seems that's the fate of St. Helena, a town that once described itself as the heart of the valley, had incumbency and first mover advantage as the Napa Valley would grow to become a world-class destination. Yet the city is now arguably at the margins, where Napa and Yountville and even Calistoga are planning hotels and even more restaurants and shopping St. Helena clings to its history. A city that once could have been a hub of transportation and had an opportunity for world-class stores and shopping has instead built a worldwide reputation as a difficult place to do business and ground zero for anti-tourism in a valley that seeks visitors as the lungs seek air. A town where the population is aging, the number of second homes is rising, where retail rents continue to rise consistent with market forces, the city is still dithering about its general plan tasting rooms in the wine country, and how many jewelry stores it should have. And the new city manager, Jennifer Phillips, has raised real and serious questions about the economic sustainability of the city. It is my pleasure to welcome St. Helena City Manager Jennifer Phillips to NapaBroadcasting.com. Jennifer, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, Jeff, it's my pleasure to join you today. Great to have you here. First of all, talk a little bit about your background and a little bit about uh, some of the places you've been before arriving in St. Helena. Absolutely. Um, I have a master's in public administration, and I've been in local government about 25 years. Most of my career was down south, um, and I have a very diverse background, and I think it's what's helped me be successful in this profession. Um, I didn't sort of have this narrow track. I've done a wide variety of things, including I worked for um, the L.A. County Sanitation District when the state passed AB 939, which is a recycling bill, and I helped the 88 cities in L.A. County develop recycling and waste reduction plans. I worked for OCTA, which is a transportation agency in Orange County. I was the assistant to the city manager for the city of Fullerton. That's where I got my passion for city management and really found that I just love the local level, love being part of a, of a community and, and really what city management is all about. After that, I decided to do something really different and challenging and I became the director of one of the largest animal shelters in the United States. Um, a very challenging job, not only from a leadership standpoint, but emotionally. Um, we took in 33,000 animals a year, so wow. we did some great work. And then I decided after five years, it was time to get back to city management, and I became the assistant city manager in Santa Monica, a world-class, world-famous city. And then my husband and I decided it was time to do a life change and get back to Northern California. He's actually fifth-generation Californian, and his family settled the Alexander Valley, and so this is like coming home to us. And so I came to be the assistant city manager in Santa Rosa. I was there for three and a half years, and then I saw this opportunity in St. Helena, and it just seemed like it was a calling. It was the right fit at the right time, and the opportunity to be in a small community um, and really make a difference was really appealing. And so eight months ago, I was offered the opportunity, and I've uh, been here ever since. And, and uh, certainly been challenging, but I've really enjoyed myself and I feel like I'm making a difference in the community and the organization. How much did you know going into the job about the history of St. Helena and some of the issues that really are at the forefront now, not only the economic issues, we'll talk about them, but just some of the broader framework of, of the community that really has led to some of the problems it faces today? 
You know, as a candidate, you always do your best to try to do research. I always do that when I look into new opportunities because it's such a big decision to move jobs. Um, I think from the outside, I, I did the best that I could with, with the information that was available, but I don't think that you can really understand it until you're here um, and you're talking face-to-face -face with the residents and you're, you're deeply involved in the issues. So I think peripherally, as any outsider could, could look into the issues and see that there were certainly some challenges and there's certainly some um, diverse opinions about where St. Helena has been and where it can go. Um, but it really took being here to really understand um, really some of the depths of the challenges and, and how we move forward to help St. Helena be, be um, economically sustainable and vital and, and thriving for this community. And as you look at it, now that you're there on the ground every day, what is the depth of that challenge as you see it? Beyond the economic challenge, what are the things that go along with that that surround the economics that really have to begin to adapt in order to make the city sustainable and viable? Well, and I, and I think that came out in our um, seven-hour, um, you know, strategic uh, strategic planning session that we did with the council at the end of February. Um, we spent an entire day together, and we had a fantastic group of, of citizens join us. Almost 40 people were there the whole day with us, really talking about the future of St. Helena. And, and what came out of that was we need to look at some revenue options, but we need to look at our economic vitality. And, and to me, that takes into consideration the vitality of the community, who's living here, who's shopping here, who's, who's raising their children here, who's visiting here, who's trying to have a business here. So it's not just a business plan. It's not an economic development plan. It's, it's really trying to figure out our future as a community. And so, you know, one of the things out of, out of the um, strategic objectives, you know, this goal of being financially sustainable was to hire an economic um, development manager or economic vitality person. Um, and that's what I have um, on the agenda for this evening um, is to talk to the council about this. This is what they've directed me to do. And when you set priorities, you have to put the resources behind those priorities. And so I've brought forward this position, and my vision would be in helping the council achieve its goal of, of economic um, sustainability, financial sustainability, is really work with the community, the residents here, the business community, um, the tourism community, and, and develop a plan. And, and this, is a, this is a big effort, but, but who are we and, and what do we want to be? Because... As I've mentioned before, and I mentioned it in the goal setting, you know, we, we have an ordinance that, that says our, our retail should be locally serving. And, and I don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what our citizens need. And I hear lots of different things. And then we have an ordinance that doesn't, you know, allow formula restaurants or stores. But I hear residents say, yeah, but I would like something that is formula. I would like to have this or I would like to have that because that's what serves me right, as, as a resident. And so that's really what the conversation that we need to have is where do we want to have um, retail or business? Are there areas that, that we want to look at for further development? Are there, you know, do we want to, we want to consider our downtown a tourist zone? And if we, if we then label it a tourist zone, does that change what um, locally serving means? Do we then focus locally serving on other parts of, of the community? 
I don't know. And so really this, this meaty conversation needs to happen because even as you articulated in your opening statement, um, we don't have a great reputation for people to come in and, and want to invest in our community. And if we have a plan that, that fundamentally, you know, not everyone's going to agree and not everyone's going to be happy, but that fundamentally we as a community agree, then we can work with those businesses and those developers and say, no here, no here, yes here, yes to this, no to that, but there's some kind of a blueprint or a roadmap that, that helps us then what's the right kind of growth, what's the right kind of, um, of limited growth, what's the right kind of sustainability, what's the right kind of, of balance that we need in our community so we can keep our small town feel, we can hold on to the things that are precious to us as a community, but we can make good educated right decisions that will help us be uh, financially viable and, and economically sound. And, and that's really, I think, a, an important next step for this community that's really struggled for a decade or two um, <laughs> in who we want to be and, and how we want to grow if we want to grow at all. To that question then, is there any work being done to really try and ascertain some demographic studies of who lives there, who might be living there five, ten years from now, and really get a handle on that. One of the things that's come up repeatedly is, is one, the aging population of the community, the increasing number of second homes. In fact, some of this was mentioned at the county planning forum that was held a couple of weeks ago. And certainly those things need to be part of engaging the whole community and looking to see what, what the future might be. Absolutely. We don't have that data. At least I don't. I'm, I'm not aware that it's out there. And, and absolutely, we need to know who's here, who's coming here, who wants to be here, sort of who we are. Because if we plan something for today, it doesn't get executed for five to ten years. So you're absolutely right. This is, this is real strategic planning. This is really looking ahead and, and looking at the cost of doing business you know, 80% of our budget is, is, is human capital because it's people that deliver the services to our community. And, and cost of doing business continues to increase. Equipment continues to increase. And all, we're, we're just like a business. I mean, we try very hard to contain our costs, but costs are going to go up. And so how do, we, how do we provide those services as an organization to our community and, and have the revenue necessary to take care of our infrastructure, take care of our citizens, deliver those services, and, you know, meet the needs of that population and, and what's that going to look like. And so absolutely, I think that's a critical part that needs to happen. One of the things that has come up over the years, particularly as it relates to that cost of, of human capital and infrastructure costs, is really looking at the idea of outsourcing, perhaps outsourcing the police department through the sheriff's department the way the City of American Canyon does, outsourcing dispatch to either the county or the city of Napa, which was talked about at one point. And even at one point, there was a conversation about outsourcing part or all of public works through the county. Are these things on the table at this point as you look for economic viability? So I think, you know, the, we're just preparing the 15-16 budget. Um, they came up during our, our strategic planning session at the end of February. Um, at this point, I don't have direction to look at those things, um, but it, I think will be part of the conversation as, as we look at where we are financially for the 15-16 budget. And, and I delivered the long-range financial forecast, which, 
you know, wasn't particularly optimistic and, and is intended to send the message that we have to look at, at different ways of doing business. You know, it's, it's not as simple. Outsourcing isn't always cheaper and isn't always better. And so those are policy decisions that need to be very, very carefully um, looked at and that we really compare service to service because the level of service that our public works department provides and that our police department provides in dispatch is, is significantly higher than a, a basic service with the sheriff's department or a basic service that would come with um, a private company that would deliver public work services. And so we want to be sure that when we do that assessment, we're really looking at the high caliber of personnel, we're looking at the high level of customer service that we're trying to deliver, and we have some very, very exceptional staff here, and, and we, want, we don't want to see when you outsource, unless the community says that's okay, they want less service, we want to be sure that, that if we look at outsourcing something, that we're really looking at that same level of service and then comparing costs. When the community speaks to this issue, are we clear, are you clear, is the council clear, in, in your opinion, that, that it really is speaking for the whole community? And, and is there a, an incorrect assumption that outsourcing means a lower level of service? It doesn't, it doesn't, outsourcing doesn't necessarily mean a lower level of service. There's often an assumption in outsourcing that it's going to save you money. But my point is that you have to be sure that if you're going to look at other ways of delivering a service, that you're, that you're looking at the same service delivery that you're getting today. You can pay for more. You can pay for less. I mean, I can provide less service with my existing staff if I wanted to, too. And, and the community hasn't expressed an interest to have less services and, and, and less customer service. So... It, even within our own organization, we can have, we can do cutbacks that say, nope, you know, certain things are only open certain hours, we don't go on certain calls anymore, we don't do any kind of community policing, we don't do any proactive policing, it's only response or enforcement based. I mean, those are, those are options we could look at as well, but right now the level of service is, is what, as far as I understand, what the community expects and what we've been delivering for years. Talk a little bit about some of the ideas that came up at the recent forum that you were talking about with respect to additional sources of revenue. Certainly the one that got the most attention was this possibility of a transfer tax, but certainly there were a lot of other things mentioned, a lot of other potential revenue sources that were discussed. Talk a little about that, Jennifer. Sure, absolutely. So one of the main ones um, was to look into, and, and then there's been some miscommunication, so this is a great opportunity to clarify that remember when government does things, we plan to plan and then we plan and then we start taking action. So this is the, the council asked that we start looking into a, prop, a real property transfer tax. So there's no action to do this. It's, there's a long ramp up time, including you know, looking into becoming a charter city. And both of those items would go on the ballot in, two, in November 2016. The voters need to approve a charter city, becoming a charter city, and they would need to approve the real property transfer tax. So that was one of the, the key areas that, that tonight, again, um, when I go to the council, um, is, a, is an adoption of the strategic objectives for me to focus on for the next year or so. The other one was to take a look at our fees that we charge for our services. And so in, in communities, there's a big debate over how much should the public tax dollar support private development. So whether you're building something like an office building or a hotel or you're remodeling your home, 
should you pay all the fees related to doing that, that project or should the taxpayers pay subsidize some of that? And so we want to take a look at our fees that we charge for all the different services that we provide and then decide how far towards full cost recovery we would like to go. You can do 50%, you can do 75 whatever percentage, or you can do the full cost recovery so that you're paying for all the services related to your private project. Um, we also need to take a look at our water and wastewater rates again. We need to be sure it, you know, this community um, did not have a rate increase for nearly 20 years until a couple years ago, and we have two plants that we need to be, you know, we need to make sure that they're properly maintained in the infrastructure underneath the ground. I mentioned that in my opening statement at the um, workshop. You know, one of the one of the key services we provide is water and 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 um, wastewater removal. You know, if if you go to your kitchen sink and you put on the on the nozzle and there's no water coming out, I mean that is a vital you know service that we provide and it's critical to to human safety and life and health. And so we want to make sure that the water is running and we want to make sure that the wastewater runs out of, uh, you know, into the plant. And so both of those systems have an intricate system under the ground that takes all the water to the homes and the buildings and takes the wastewater away into our wastewater plant. And so it's absolutely critical, especially in today's regulatory environment, that we're managing those systems as best as we can. And so um, we need to take a look at those water and wastewater rates again um, and then just to continue to look at this economic vitality, how do we, you know, work well with the business community, how do we meet the needs of the residents, and, and how do we, you know, secure some um, stability, you know, moving forward so that we can be economically viable, as you mentioned, in five to ten years and, and you know, be a strong city. Certainly one of the other sources of revenue that has been a significant portion for lots of the other cities in the Valley has been TOT. Talk about how that fits into what you're all looking at. Well, it's not on, on the list. So I have a list of the six items that I just rattled off to mm-hmm. you. Um, and, and so currently we have one hotel under construction, and that's the Los Alcabas. And in my long-range financial forecast, I did include that revenue, um, which would be about $900,000 to $1 million a year in TOT, um, and that hotel should be done sometime in 2016. Um, I don't plan to include that revenue in the 15-16 budget um, just because of potential delays, um, but that is, that is an important part of helping us balance our budget um, moving forward. It's, it's a very critical part of, of staying um, in, in the positive. Um, we do have another hotel that has a development agreement, um, and, and that's down on Main Street. And, and there's one other hotel that some conceptual drawings have been brought forward, but there's no directive at this point or no, um, no initiative that's been given to me or passed by the council um, that really deals with looking at hotels as an additional revenue source. There was some discussion um, at that meeting on the 27th of February about working with existing hotels and seeing if there's things that the city can do from a process standpoint um, because oftentimes um, or sometimes um, a hotel or, or business they may not want to do an expansion or, 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 you know, do some improvement to their business because, again, you know, the reputation that we can have for being a difficult um, community to work in if we can do outreach to some existing businesses and hotels, are there things we can help them do in the process that there's a potential for them to expand? And so we wanted to look at that as well. There was some discussion about that. 
Was the decision, as it evolved in that long seven-hour meeting you were talking about, was the decision specifically to not look at hotels because they take too long before that revenue would come on stream, or was it really an aversion to the idea of more hotels? No, I think it was more the discussion of, of that you know, economic vitality um, and getting a plan together so we make good decisions. Um, I, I, there really wasn't a discussion about, no, we don't want that, or no, it's not fast enough. It was really what would the real property transfer tax came about because it's been discussed apparently for a couple of years, um, and, and certainly that's something that could happen in an 18-month period or so or almost two years um, you know, for the November 2016 ballot. Um, but there really wasn't, we didn't really get into the depth of, of the hotels and the future of hotels in St. Helena. Um, I see that as a critical part of, of this economic vitality plan moving forward. How many hotels? What do hotels look like? Big, small, right? What, what, what fits this community? What's the right thing for this community? Um, that, to me, is a, is a discussion moving forward about, about our own economic sustainability and vitality. Was there any conversation about any kind of an additional sales tax, a quarter cent, a half cent, or some, some kind of sales tax to address the revenue issues? Um, I actually brought it up as we were talking about revenue options, and the council felt that um, to explore two tax measures sort of parallel was um, potentially distracting and, and would require additional staff time. And so um, I don't think a sales tax is, is off the, the um uh, off the table, I think right now, um, you know, based on the discussion tonight, if I get direction to start exploring um, a real property transfer tax, um, a sales tax may take a second seat, and and we see how how that that process works for the real property transfer tax, and and if a sales tax then needs to be discussed at some point in the future, we can certainly do that. One of the things that has been on. Uh the agenda, I suppose, for St. Helena for a long time is what happens with the Adams Street property. And various things have been talked about, including a history museum and a civic center. Given the current economic state of the city, is there a potential to begin to look at that property and its uses with an eye towards revenue as opposed to just civic causes? Well, see, and again, I think that's why the, the economic um, vitality plan is so critical because there, there is no plan right now, and, and there is talk of, of so many different things, and, and, you know, there were different ideas, and things happened in the past, and, and so, to me, that's part of that discussion, because right now, there's, it's stagnant. There is, no, there is no discussion happening. There's no plan at this time. And talk a little bit about the economic situation right now. How long could things go on? How dire is the situation? Just how serious is it? Well, I mean, we're... We're not, we're, we're okay. Um, you know, th this community's made some decisions that, um, you know, it's, it's, we're by no means bankrupt, we're by no means going to go under, um, but we do have some challenges. And so um, one of the presentations that we made was each department talked about, um, you know, really the struggles that they're having because we, we have such a shortage of staff. And um, basically we need about $2.2 million dollars for departments to hire staff just so we can become functional and, and meet what we consider legal obligations, um, city expectations, community expectations. Um, and, and so this isn't gold-plated, knock it out of the park services. This is really just so that 
Um, most of us can go back to a 40-hour working week, um, and, and we, can, we can do everything that the law requires us to do, have our records in order, um, and, and really be a sound organization. Obviously, that's not going to happen anywhere near the future. And so, you know, quite frankly, my staff of 68 people um, is given 120% right now. Um, we are all working incredibly hard to try to meet all of those legal obligations and deliver the services to the community through sheer will and passion um, and commitment to this community. Um, and so it, it, it's really about choices. It's about understanding that there are certain things we're not going to be able to do. That was the point of, of the strategic planning because it's, there's so many wonderful things that can happen. There's so many great ideas out there, but there just physically isn't the staff to deliver on, on some of these, on many of these things. We're struggling to get the day-to-day -day done. And so we can make it. We can make it with, with my, my revenue assumptions. Um, if we add no staff, if there's no unfunded mandates, which the state does do to us all the time, the federal government doesn't do any unfunded mandates, there's no emergency, there's, there's really just kind of clunking along at status quo, um, we can bring in enough revenue to cover our expenses. Um, if there's a recession, it gets really tight, and I mean a minor recession. If there's a major recession, all bets are off for everybody. A minor recession is, gets really, really tight. And so um, we're okay, but we may at some point need to make some decisions about some of the services. Um, if, if it really gets tight, you know, some, some services, like many communities, you know, you saw Wreck and Park during the recession, and most communities really take a beating, um, libraries as well. Um, and so we may need to look at some of those services and maybe not be able to deliver at the capacity that, and the level that we're delivering today if there are certain legal mandates that we're required to do. Um, and, and the state does that. It does that to us all the time. Um, and, and we have to comply with those things. But I'm hopeful that we can maintain status quo. That's my goal. Um, and building a budget that maintains that status quo um, try to keep a 20 to 25 percent general fund reserve for emergencies, um, and that's very important for our financial health, and, and keep moving forward. Is it important in the total scheme of all that we have been talking about for the city to finally get a general plan after 10 years of, of, of a process that hasn't really solved very much? I think it's important for morale. <laughs> um, it, it is important because it's it's legally required and it's it's necessary. It's part of our blueprint of, of who we are and where we want to go. Um, but it's really a very high level bl blueprint. And so, you know, one of my my mottos since I've gotten here is let's get it done. There's a lot of things that have lingered and languished, and for a variety of reasons. And so, um, we've focused really hard and we've put a lot of resources behind trying to get the general general plan done. Um, we'd like to get it done this summer and, you know, really help the community understand that, yes, it's a very important document, but it's a guiding document. It, it's, it doesn't set things in stone. It doesn't automatically mean certain things are going to happen. There's still a tremendous amount of public process behind anything that happens in this community. And so it doesn't mean that the adoption of the general plan means that all of those things are going to happen but it's a guiding document as we move forward and is critical, quite frankly, as, as part of our economic vitality and, and who we want to be as a community. 
um, so that we can have more discussions. So we really, I think as a community together with, with this staff, with this council and this community, we need to come together and, and we need to pass this general plan. I, I think it would be a huge hurdle for, for us to get through together, a huge accomplishment to be able to celebrate this summer um, and be able to, to get that done and move on and, and work on other things that are really important to this community. And finally, I have to ask you about uh, the story that's gotten a great deal of attention lately, which is the million nine that had to be paid back to FEMA and why that wasn't more known by, by electeds up there and, and by others in city government. Talk a little bit about that. Well, um, as part of our annual financial audit, um, it was you know, clarified as to, to you know, what happened in the sense of the, the fact that we did repay that money to, to, to FEMA. We're in the process of trying to understand and, and conducting interviews and, and, you know, looking at all the facts. Um, FEMA's been great and OES has been great in helping us and we're, we're working with some past employees and asking questions and trying to put the, the whole uh, matter together. Um, and so by we're, I had committed um, to the council and the community that I would bring a report forward on April 14th that really outlines, um, you know, where this money came from, how it was spent, um, how it came about that certain costs weren't eligible, um, and you know how the decision came about to to provide that refund back to FEMA. Um, so that'll all be outlined on April 14th. And finally, Jennifer, what is your vision of St. Helena? One of the things I know you talked about in in the original story that I think the Star or the Register did was talking about the importance of of having a vision for you. What what is your vision of the city? You know. Um, I, my vision is to, to have a healthy, um, sustainable, um, economically viable community um, that's diverse, where um, it's alive and, and people feel um, at home and happy here. They feel well served. Um, they, feel, they feel confidence in their government and in us and local government. Um, and, and, you know, they feel like they have a, an open and transparent government that is really working on their behalf and with them and for them. Um, you know, that really would be my vision. And, and I, you know, I work for five elected officials who, who help, you know, they design the policy and, and really how we move forward as, as an organization. Um, you know, the policy, or the policy um, direction comes from them. But that's really, as a city manager, especially in a small community like that, you know, that's really, if, if I look back and I, you know, in three to five years, if I look at my time here and, and that's how residents felt about our community, um, I would really feel like I made a difference here. Which of your jobs in the past most prepared you for uh, the battles of St. Helena? Probably the animal shelter. <laughs> <laughs> You know, really all of them, and, and that's what I love about my own background is, is you know, it's, it's, it's so diverse. I mean, I deal with, with waste management issues. I, we had a water treatment plant at, at, at the Orange County Sanitation District, um, you know, transportation issues and, and you know, moving a community and, and making it mobile, and um, so pedestrians and bicyclists and, and transportation and mobility um, you know, working in, a, in, in several large cities and really understanding public administration and how to properly run a city and, and all of the policies and procedures. And, and, and to me, that, that all comes here and, and I'm able to, you know, establish an organization with, with strong public administration principles and best practices in public administration. That's very important to me and it's something that I hold 
very dear as a city manager, I think um, best practices in public administration as you build your organization is incredibly important. Um, so I, I think really all of it, it's, it, you know, I was always one of those individuals who never put a timeline on when I wanted to be in my next position and when I wanted to be promoted. You talk to people who say, oh, I want to be this by the time I'm 30 or 35. My goal always was I want to take my next step when I'm really ready. And my toolbox is so full that when I have challenges come to me, I've got tools in my toolbox to deal with that. And, and I felt very ready to come here. I had great experiences in Santa Rosa, um, great experiences in Santa Monica and Fullerton. And, and when I came here to be the city manager of St. Helena, um, I feel very ready and very capable of, of being your city manager um, and being able to um, lead this organization and work with this community. So I think it's really, you know, my entire career comes to this point where, where you know, I get to be a city manager in, in this beautiful community. and and help us move forward. Jennifer Phillips, St. Helena City Manager, I thank you so much for spending time with us here on NapaBroadcasting.com. Thank you for inviting me, and I, and I hope you'll invite me again sometime. Indeed, thank you. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio for the way we live now.